So Advent season, Christmas season is a um, is is a season is a holiday like so many other holidays, right? It's a holiday that we can easily get distracted. Um, I saw a great meme um, just a couple of days ago highlighting Thanksgiving, and and it said nothing had a picture of a bunch of folks shopping on Black Friday or five o'clock Thanksgiving because stores open up like now you don't even get a chance to eat <laughs> and they're, they're already open and so it was a picture of a bunch of people in in the store and it was one of those chaotic moments in the store where people were jumping over each other and and all that kind of stuff and 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 the, the meme said nothing nothing says giving thanks like pillaging and plummeting others uh on your way to grab that tv you know what I mean? it's just I mean, that, that, that's, that's what happens, right? All of our holidays are, are prone to distraction. I mean, July 4th, I mean, who's celebrating, I mean, who's celebrating independence? What, right? I'm trying to figure out how to get the best slab of ribs that you've ever made. You're not worried about independence. And so, and so who's, who's celebrating anything on these days anymore? And Christmas becomes one of those things where the, where the object of celebration is lost and it just becomes another effort to, to buy and to shop. And, and, and so we miss the significance of the season. And there's a lot of reasons why we miss the significance of the season. We miss the significance of the season because of the busyness of the season. We're rushed to, from one thing to the next. Many of, you are, many of you are thinking about toys and then you're thinking about other things, you're thinking about family coming in, you're thinking about food, you're thinking about all sorts of different things. And so it's easy with all of the hustle and bustle to miss the significance. But I think there's another reason why we miss the significance of the season. We miss the significance of the season, quite frankly, because we miss the significance of the one that we're celebrating. When the one that you're celebrating isn't as significant as he ought to be, then it's easy to miss him. It's not just the distractions. It's not just the busyness. It's actually missing the significance of the one that you're celebrating. He's become too common to us. It's a lot easier to to not celebrate him when you have no awe of him. It's a lot easier to not celebrate him when you have no wonder of him. He's just a character in a book. And so, all too often, when you, when you start with missing the significance of the Savior, it doesn't just impact Advent. It doesn't just impact Christmas. It impacts literally all year. It impacts every day of our lives when Jesus just becomes common. And so it's for this reason that, that I want to start our Advent reflective season, really spending time discussing and highlighting the significance of the Savior that we worship, the one that we call Jesus. Hebrews starts with, there's this debate around Hebrews, because, and, and, and part of the debate lands actually in the very beginning of it. You know, there, there's a debate about, about, about a lot of things in Hebrews, but one thing that there's a debate about is, is this a letter or is this a sermon? And one of the, and one of the, one of the ways in which it lends itself to looking a lot, like, lot more like a sermon is the very first chapter. Because the very first chapter starts out like a sermon introduction. It launches into basically describing the greatness of Christ and then everything else that comes 
um, that, 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 that proceeds out of that, that first chapter is really tied back to that first chapter. It's that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater is what you hear over and over and over again. And so the author is making this very emphatic statement about the significance of Christ, which is why I want to pause as we reflect in this Advent season and think about the significance of Christ. So let's spend a little time just walking through this text. And as we walk through this text, we'll see a couple of things. Number one is that Jesus is greater than the prophets. Number two, Jesus is greater than the creation. Number three, Jesus is greater than all other saviors. And then we'll close out quickly with this, with the last thought, which is Jesus is greater than the angels. Let's begin by just talking about him being greater than the prophets. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago, look with me, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Here's what we hear clearly and loudly in this text. God speaks. God speaks. The God in the heavens speaks to his creation. We hear that God has always spoken. It says long ago, we hear that God has spoken in a variety of ways. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. And then we hear that God has spoken through those whom he has chosen. In other words, God spoke long ago at many times and in many ways to our fathers by the prophets. And when he speaks about the prophets, the author is referring to God's proclamations that were captured in the Old Testament. Peter confirms the, the author's premise here in 2, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. It wasn't just them speaking. It wasn't just them sharing opinions, but they were speaking on behalf of God in such a way that Peter describes them as being carried along by the Spirit to speak on God's behalf. The Lord spoke to the prophets and they spoke to the people and each spoken moment that we read gives us a peek into the nature of God and it gives us a glimpse into the wisdom of God. And this is, and this is what the prophets afforded us. They afforded us real pictures. They afforded us clear pictures of God. But nonetheless, they afforded us partial pictures of God. And this is where verse 2 finds its importance and its significance because it says in verse 2, beginning there in the, in the very beginning, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is shown here to be greater than the prophets. Now, this is no small feat because the prophets were held in high regard. They were highly respected. They were highly honored. They were spokesmen. Let's, I mean, let's, let's stop and just think about this. They were spokesmen on behalf of God, which should cater or should create honor and regard. 
But not only is he declaring that God the Father spoke, has spoken through Christ, but he demonstrates his greatness over the prophets is that he, in that he has spoken finally through Christ. It says that long ago he spoke, but in these last days he has spoken through his son. And his son has the final word on the revelation of God. The picture that Arthur is painting is clear. Is that through Christ, he has spoken finally and most completely. If you've ever had questions concerning God's character, God's nature, God's personhood, if you've ever had questions trying to understand his will and his heart, then look no further than Jesus and you'll have your answer. Jesus Christ is the most complete revelation humanity has been given regarding the triune God. Hebrews from the very beginning is is driving home this point and saying to us this, if we listen to and observe Jesus, we will see and hear everything God the Father intends for us to. If we listen to and observe Jesus, we will hear and see everything God the Father intends us to. Jesus is greater than the prophets, but he's also greater than the creation. Because when we read in in chapter 2, or in chapter 1, verse 2, we read a few attributes about Christ that brings him or that, that, that ensures that we see him as greater than creation. We first see that the Father appointed the Son with authority over all things. It says in verse 2, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, upon his resurrection, as he's preparing to leave the disciples, he says, he says a, a very important thing. He says, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All that reign, all that reign, reign under his reign. No king reigns without Jesus' allowance. All kings will rise and all kings will fall, and yet his kingdom shall remain. Now, in light of that truth, how should that shape how we view the world's kings? Temporal, subjective, fleeting, subordinate, Christ has authority over all, is what the author proclaims. But he also says that the father, appointed the, the father appointed the son with all authority, but the father also appointed the son with the task of creation. He says, through him or through whom also he created the world. Father, the father displayed his creator power and genius through Christ. You can't farm out creation to anybody. Who you farm out, if you're farming out creation, then the one that you farm out creation to must be divine himself. Divine authority and creative power are shown to exist in Christ when we hear the words that through whom also he created the world. The father is delighted to give his son this task because they are of the same essence. 
the same substance, the same worth, the same value. And we see this highlighted in verse 3 in three different ways. Number one, it says he is the radiance of the glory of God. John Piper says that glory is the going public of God's infinite worth. The going public, it is the public declaration of his worth. The public declaration of his manifold wisdom. The public declaration of his perfection. None of us have ever been in the presence of the sun. None of us, the sun outside is what I'm referring to. None of us have ever been in the presence of the physical, literal sun. And yet, every day of our lives, we've experienced in a very, or we've experienced it in very real and impactful ways. We've never been in proximity to it. We're not close to it. But we still feel it. We still know it's there. We still feel its impacts. We still feel its warmth, the radiance of the rays and the heat and the light that emanate from the sun puts us in the presence of the sun while being millions of miles away from the sun. And so it is with Christ and his Emmanuel and his God with us. Like the sunlight and the sun rays that radiate from the sun and demonstrate the power and the awesomeness of the sun, so Jesus radiates out of the Trinity, eternally showing his glory in the most tangible way for humanity, the radiance of the glory of God. We see it in Scripture in several places. We see Jesus radiate in his life. Matthew chapter 17 on the Mount of Tran- in which he transfigured, the transfiguration says, after six days, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You know, sometimes the only vision that we, can, that we can conjure up in our minds of Jesus is the baby in a manger. But what I need you sometimes, what, what, what I need and what I need you to sometimes do is conjure up the vision of Jesus on the mountain being transfigured and light shining and his face shining like the sun. And recognize that that is the Jesus that we are dedicating this season to, intently focus on. And recenter our hearts upon. Jesus radiates not only in life, but he radiates in death. When you read his prayer in John chapter 17, it says, When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now listen, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. He's talking about the hour of death, and he says, Now in death, Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In his life, in his death, 
We are shown the most complete picture of God's glorious nature. We're shown his holiness. We're shown his righteousness. We're shown his splendor. We're shown his grace. We're shown his mercy. We're shown his goodness. We're shown his love. We're shown his compassion. We're shown his gentleness. We're shown his meekness. We're shown his kindness. God's glory shines fully from Jesus. One lesser known theologian puts it this way. God's glory then is in the sun and he beams it out. We could say, given the definition above, that the sun radiates the infinite worth of God so that we can see it and know it. Or we might say that the sun reveals the glory of God in the same way the brightness of the sun shows the sun itself. All that God is in all of his greatness shines out in the sun. He's the radiance of the glory of God, but he's also the exact imprint of his nature, according to verse 3. In the Greek, the word that we have for imprint or representation in some of your Bibles It's the same word that we get our English word character from. In ancient Greek, the the, the word signified an engraving device, a stamp that had a distinguishing mark upon it. In today's use, the word speaks of the unique qualities that make a person who they are, character. The idea here is that Jesus possesses the very character of God, the Father. There's no shade of difference when discussing the father's nature versus the son's nature they are the same exact they are the same exact nature in essence and substance and, and character colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that he is the image that he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation during the very early days of church history a, a controversy broke out with people trying to diminish the, the divinity of Christ. And, and, and they had this one theologian by the name of Athanasius who used these very scripture, Hebrews chapter 1, to defend against the controversy, to say that, no, 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 the Son is not less than the Father. The Son is equal with the Father. The Son is very God of very God. In other words, this text, this text is not arguing for Jesus just simply being kind of close to God the Father. This text is arguing for Jesus being equal with God the Father. He's not a cheap gimmick that you can trade in and out of the discussion as he fits your ideas. You can't substitute Jesus for others. No, he is of the very same essence and the very same nature, and to denounce him or to deny him is to deny God the Father himself. The Bible says in verse 3 that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, we, we hear the author ascribe to Jesus an attribute that is typically reserved, or reserved for God alone. Why? Because Jesus is God. What is the attribute that he describes? He describes the power of his word, the ability to sustain and to hold the universe by the power of his word. In other words, keeping all of this chaotic order in place just with his word alone. 
the stars that spin across their orbits, sustained on his word. The insects that come in out of, in, in season and out of season, sustained on his word. The tilt of the earth's, earth's axis, not moving from one degree the other way and burning us alive or moving another degree the other way and freezing us to death, sustained on his word. The meteors in the showers, the solar, or the solar, or not solar storms, but, but galactic storms that come back and forth through our, through our orbits, passing through our galaxies, missing this earth, sustained on his word. Everything in the universe is sustained on the word of Jesus. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Paul, when describing God in Romans, he describes him as one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence with the power of his word. In other words, the power to create and hold the universe belongs to God. So if Christ possesses this power, it is because Christ is God. And we know that Christ possesses this power. We hear him on the boat when the storms are raging and the waves are battering against the boat. We hear him say, peace be still. When standing with the lame, we hear, the Christ, we hear Christ declare, take up your bed and walk. And it happens. He speaks it, and it is so. Jesus is greater than creation in every way, but here is the even better news for us. He loves creation. And so he is powerful enough to reign over it, but loving enough to reign for it. Amen. It would be a devastating thing for a God to be all-powerful and not loving. But it's a beautiful thing, one that is worthy of all of our celebration this month, that we have a God that is not only all-powerful, but is all-loving as well. So loving that he himself took on the burden to come down from heaven and to take on the form of a servant and to walk the meager life all the way to the age of an adult and to see his own people betray him and lead him to Calvary's hill to be crucified and to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And to take on the burden of their sin, to take on, to absorb the wrath that was due to them and then to rise with all power in his hand three days later for those same people. That is the Christ that we should look to this season. It's the Christ that's keeping us. It's the Christ that's holding us. It's the Christ that's sustaining us with his power. Verse 3 and verse 4 says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ surpasses all the other saviors that have announced themselves as saviors in the sense that he came and presented himself as the answer 
But he came and presented himself, unlike the others that presented themselves as answers, he came and presented himself as an answer in the sense that he was willing to come in to die. He was willing to come in to enter into the condition of the ones he was choosing to rescue. He was willing to come and to take the punishment of those that were in need of rescue. Christ surpasses all the other saviors that came and presented themselves as saviors because he was the only one able to enter into the condition of those in need and live perfectly in that condition. He was the only one that was able to absorb the sin burden that was due all of humanity. And after he performed that work, Hebrews tells us he sat down. His sitting down represents a couple of things. Number one, his sitting down represents the authority that has been given because he's sitting on the right-hand side of the throne of the Father. But it also represents a completed work. Jesus, when he was on the cross, declared what? It is finished. And when he goes to heaven, he does what? Takes a seat. Because his work is complete. The things, the, the, the salvation of, of all those who would declare him as Lord and Savior has now been read, the, the way has now been ready. The way has now been paved. He's greater than all the prophets. He's greater than all the creation. He's greater than all other saviors that would come and present themselves as saviors. And then the latter part of this text shows us that he's greater than all the angels. Now, I'm not going to spend um, the remainder of our time trying to walk step by step through this text, but I will say this. If an angel touched down right now in this room, most of us would duck under our pews. We would flat out duck under our pews. When, when we see angels show up in Scripture... Men and women bow down, thinking that they're in the presence of God. And they have to be told, no, I'm a messenger. That, that's the kind of regality and the kind of glory and the kind of splendor on display when angels show up. And the Hebrew author takes time knowing the reverence that angels are giving in this context. He takes time to say, but Jesus is so much greater. And he, he walks through this. He, say, he says, for example, in verse 5, he says, have the angels, did God ever say to one of the angels, you are my son, today I have begotten you? In other words, has God ever said to one of the angels, you are my only begotten son? The answer is No. Has God ever said to one of the angels, or rather he says in verse 6, and again when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Has God ever said to one of the angels, everybody worship that angel? But he says it about Jesus. He talks about the angels in verse 7. He says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. In other words, he delegates and tasks them and sends them out as servants. 
But verse 8, he says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. The Son isn't servant. The Son is king. The angels are the ones he sends out in service. He says in verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your God, therefore, God, your God has anointed you with all the gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Talking about Christ. He says of Christ that they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them off. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And then he says, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit in my right hand until I make you make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The answer is none. Even though those angels could drop in this room right now, and we all would duck and cover They can't hold a candle to Christ. Again, we must see Christ beyond the manger. And we must recognize that it was God in that manger. In all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his beauty and all of his wonder, God was in the manger. So what do we do with this? first thing you do is you crown him. You crown him. Some of the young folks will say, put some respect on his name. Honor him for who he is. Don't let this season just be a season that you just kind of Hover through the motions and just move from one thing to the next. And don't, be, don't let your life be a life that you just hover through the motions and just move from one thing to the next and you, and you treat God as if he is common. You treat God like he's any other baby in a manger. Oh, that's cute. You crown him as savior of all. You crown him as sustainer and keeper of life. You crown him as creed. Aider of life. You crown him as the one that God the Father has finally and ultimately spoken through. You crown him as the most complete and fulfilling revelation of God that we ever have because he himself is God. Let me ask you a question. How would your conduct change at the arrival of a king? The king showed up today. We got news that a king was coming. How would your conduct change? How would your posture change? Would you sit up a little taller? You don't want to be slumping around a king, right? Would you take things with more gravity, more weight, more seriousness? Because, shh, the king's here. What if that king followed you everywhere you went? What if everywhere you went, the king was there? How would that change your posture? How would that change your conduct? How would would that change your behavior? How would that change how you treated people? 
kings here, right? You don't want to treat people ugly in front of the king. The king's here. Well, how does your conduct change at the arrival of the king? Because the king has come. And by his spirit, the king is still present. Lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the ages. The king is here. How has that changed our conduct? How has that changed our posture spiritually? How has that changed the way that we choose to interact and engage with one another? Crown him. Seek and pursue to give him the respect in his name. Now that the king has arrived, what will we do with our lives? For those who have yet to submit, what will we do with our lives now that the king has come? Will we submit ourselves and embrace him as the king? Not just of the world, but as the king of us. For those that have embraced him, preach this truth to yourself. So easy to just start looking at Jesus. It's like another character in a story. Jesus is God. And remind yourself of this truth. We have a wonderful devotional this, this month to remind you of that truth. But pick up your Bible and remind yourself of this truth. Sing these songs. Sing songs to yourself to remind you of this truth to remind you who you're going through the doors on Sunday morning to worship and who you're leaving to honor with your life. I know there's going to be distractions. Of course there are going to be distractions, which is why I'm encouraging, encouraging you to preach to yourself. The distractions will come. But in the midst of the distractions... Is what we're telling ourselves, is what we're reading, is what we're studying, is what we're praying, is what we're meditating on that will come back to the surface when the distractions come. If we're not reading, if we're not praying, if we're not meditating on anything, there's very little to pull off when the distractions come. Do you understand that? Jesus is greater, greater than the prophets, greater than creation, greater than all of the saviors that have come, all of the impostors that have come, greater than the angels, Jesus is greater than everything. And this Advent season is meant and intended for us to worship and reflect on his greatness. And so let us do so, amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us to to think on the the, the beauty that is found in your son. To think on the splendor and the wonder and the awe that is deserving of your son. Father, we pray, Lord God, that we see him as the preeminent 
that we see him as the radiance of your glory, that we see him as the exact, the exact representation, the exact imprint of your image. Father, we pray that we see him as greater than the prophets and, 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 and greater than the angels and greater than cre- all of creation. We pray that we see him as the sustainer and the keeper and the creator of all creation. Father, lastly, we just want to see him as he is. And so help us, Lord, see your son as he is.